Thank you so much for that. This is my wife, ladies and gentlemen. Give her a round of applause. Right on time, right on time. The reason I said that is because she don't like to be embarrassed. So, And uh, we, we ran up to uh, Hot Springs. And, uh, and, you know, the thing that surprised me the most is that I went up there and uh, kin folks, my kin folks that I've not seen in, I don't know, it's been five years or so, I ran into them in Hot Springs. I said, you know, it's a shame that i got to go to Hot Springs to run into my kin people. I saw more people from Bastrop and Monroe than, I've, than I'm seeing right now. I mean, there was more folks up there, and some of our other church members that were up there, they saw a post on Facebook, and they said, hey, we're here too. You know, it, it was crazy, but we got to go up there, and it was, it was just really fun, and it's always good to be able to break away and get away with your family and uh, just spend a little, little time, a little quality time, even if it's just a few hours away. You don't have to fly across the ponds to get away for a little while, but uh, last week we started uh, talking about uh, are about the book of Galatians, and we've been going through a little bit of a study there, and so we're going to continue on through that. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse number 11. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read the scriptures uh, that we need to uh, read first, and then, then we're going to get into what it's all about. It's going to be kind of like an expository uh, message because we're going to be going into it verse by verse and trying to understand a little bit more, trying to give you a good idea of what the scriptures are actually saying and what, act, what is actually going on there. So if you will, uh, just read along with me, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, who knows who Cephas is? Peter. I, that, I know that might be confusing to some of you, but his name is Cephas. And, and there was a time whenever I was reading through there and I said, who in the world is Cephas? Because it just threw me off guard back, you know, back in the day. But that is Peter, so understand that, okay? I opposed him to his face. Now, who is I? Paul, we understand that. Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically. Oh, no. Hypocritically. That's a word that every church member had that knows. We know that word. Especially people who don't go to church. They know what hypocrite means because that's why they don't go, right? We, they might not know exactly what it is, but they know how to say the word and they know how to spell it. And so they, they call people hypocrites. But here, Paul is calling them hypocrites. They were acting hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now we ourselves are Jews by birth. This is Paul speaking to Peter. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of law, no one will be justified. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we are grateful that you've given us the time and the opportunity to be able to come and share the Word of God. And I pray today that preaching will be easy, that the ears of the listener will be opened, 
and that everyone that hears the word today would not listen to Brother Joey. They wouldn't listen to what I'm saying. I'm just a man. I'm just a mere man. But I pray that their ears would be open and they would hear what the Spirit of God has to say. That's what's important. It's not about me. It's not about the people here. It's about you. And Father, ultimately, what we are supposed to gather for is to lift you up and praise your name. Because you told us in your word in the book of John that if you would be lifted up, that you would draw people to you. So God, we want to lift you up so that people can be drawn to you. Not drawn to New Life Church, not drawn to some other church, but that they are drawn to you. And you plant them and place them where you want them to thrive. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. The Daily Press had it written up on the front page of the paper. It says in big black letters, Water Walker comes to town. Talking about Peter. Peter was coming to Antioch. That's where Galatia is at. It's in a place of Antioch. And so if you remember in the Bible, the Bible says that they were first called Christians at Antioch. So this is a pretty big place to come. There's a lot of Christians. There's some big thriving churches that are there. And so Peter is coming to town. Paul's already been in town. Peter's going to come. So they throw a big party. All the ladies of the church get together. I mean all the ladies. And they say, guys, we have got to knock this one out of the park. Peter's coming to town. So we're going to throw down on some barbecue. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a party I want to go to. And so they get the barbecue ready. But this isn't just an ordinary barbecue. They have to have beef and pork. Why? Because Jews and Gentiles are going to be there, and we know that there ain't no Jew eating no pork. So we got to have some beef for them. So they get everything together, and they've got it all spread out. The guys have been cooking for three days to try to make enough food for all this. These people are coming from everywhere. All the Christians are showing up. Jews and Gentiles alike, they're all showing up. And so here walks in Peter. The lady that's running the thing, y'all know who the lady is? We don't have to call her name because everybody knows who she is, right? And walks around with a big stick, and whenever she says whatever, the other ladies get to doing, right? I'm just, there's not one of those here. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. Let's move along. Y'all rewind that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding with y'all. Beef and pork. Peter's the first in line, and the lady that carries the big stick, she says, shh, everybody, we're fixing to bless the food. And y'all don't, y'all don't let, your, let your kids go before Peter. Peter's going first because he's our guest. So they bless the food, and here comes Peter. Now, what you have to understand is that this barbecue, everybody's staring at Peter. Do you know why? Everybody's staring at Peter because they want to know if Peter is going to remember what God told him. You see, back in the book of Acts, if you'll remember, God showed Peter a vision. Y'all remember that vision? He was on top of a roof, and he had a dream. And this dream was a big old white sheet that was being let down, and it was full of animals. Full of animals. God said, Peter, get up and barbecue. He said, God, I can't eat that. That is unclean. And God slammed his hand on his desk, and he said, you don't call anything that I made unclean, Peter. Get up and eat. That was tough on Peter. Because you have to understand that the law back then says that Jews are not to eat certain things. Paul, I mean, Peter is a Jew, and he can't eat certain things. So he had to change the way he lived his life. And what God was trying to get him to see was that it's not about the food, Peter. It's not about that at all. It's about the people. 
It's the people because they related unclean food directly to unclean people. And the unclean people was anyone who was not born a what? A Jew. And there was a whole bunch of non-Jews, which are Gentiles, in the area at the time. And so everybody's standing there gasping for air, wondering what in the world is Peter going to do? Peter picks up his chinette, you know, the nice paper plate, the big heavy one that'll hold all the barbecue and not sink through and crumble on you. He's sitting there holding it, and he loads it up with beef and pork. Beef and pork. Oh, boy, everybody's like, yes, we can get in on this and dig in and not have to worry about anybody pointing their finger at us or worrying about if we're eating something that we shouldn't be eating. Because Peter was the one who was going to make the difference one way or the other. Have you ever been in church before and that person, that person, walks into the room and if they're in a good mood, everything's fine. But if they're in a bad mood, oh, watch out. It's like a cloud just comes under the threshold and over the, over the threshold of the door and walks into the building with them. And it's like thunder and lightning's coming down all around them. And you can see that it looks like they were born in a pickle factory. They are just mad about everything and nothing's going to go right if they're not in a good mood, right? This was Peter. Had Peter not done what he'd done, everything would have been ruined. Everything. So he digs in on some of them pork ribs. He's just like a man after my own heart. You see, the Jews there, they were worried about that. But you got to understand, the Gentiles, they didn't care what it was. They were like a common Louisianian. If it don't eat them first, they will eat it. They're just like you and me. So all of these people are excited, and they all start eating. Peter, pork rigging in to some pork. And I'm going to tell you what, every time Peter ate barbecued ribs after that pork ribs, he thanked God, just like you and I do. Because there ain't much better than that. There ain't much better than that. So Peter's digging in on this. But then all of a sudden, now you got to keep in mind, Paul's watching everything too. Paul's here. Paul don't care what he's eating. Paul understands that God didn't send Jesus Christ just to save the Jews. He came to save everybody because Paul was going to be the apostle to the Gentile people. Peter was the apostle to the Jewish people. But they both had an understanding that everybody could be saved. By the grace of God through the power of Jesus Christ. Peter was just having a little bit of controversy here. Paul didn't care. Paul had told him before, if you read some of his other, uh, other lessons there, other books, he said, I don't care what you think I should eat or not. But if it's going to offend you, I'll just leave it alone. But I know that whenever I go home, I can eat some ribs. And I can sleep perfectly fine. And I can rub my belly because I'm going to be full. If you want to starve yourself, you go ahead and starve yourself. But Paul's going to eat. And still go to heaven. Now here, Peter is digging in. He's enjoying it. But all of a sudden, there's some Jerusalem Jews that come in. Those are the people that are holier than thou. Those are the people that's Miss Bertha that sits on the very front pew that's better than you. She's that one. He, these are these people that are going to look down their nose at you. And even when you're down, rather than hand you a helping hand, they're going to point a finger at you and say, see there, I told you you weren't saved. You ever met those people? That's these people that walk in. Now, all of a sudden, Peter sees these people come in and he pushes himself away from the table that he's at. And he jumps up and he says, y'all know that Jews and Gentiles are not supposed to be mixing together. 
Jews, the rest of you Jews, all you Jews in here, we're going to stay in here and eat. And you Gentiles, y'all get outside. You know better than to be sitting in here with us. And then he gets his paper plate, and he goes over and he dumps that trash in the trash can, and he walks over to the big lady carrying the stick that organized all this stuff, and he says, you knew better that we could not have pork. Why would you have pork in a building where there's a bunch of Jews gathered up? You know better. Get that junk out of here and serve it to those dogs outside. Wow. Instantly, everything changed. But Paul isn't one that got up and walked outside. Paul's my kind of guy. He looks him square in the eyeball. Let's, let's just look at what the scripture says. What did he say? He said, I opposed him to his face. Boy, I love that. I can't stand it when somebody wants to oppose somebody else behind their back. If that's you, you're a coward. And you're not after Paul's own heart. So when you look at the book of Galatians, maybe Galatians, Paul's trying to get you to understand that you need some boldness within you. Because there's going to come a time, even in the church, whenever there will be someone who will act hypocritically, who needs a little eyeball-to-eyeball intervention. And you might have to be the one that gives that to them. So Paul looked straight in the eyes of Peter, and he said, Peter, what you're doing here is not right. Do you think that what Peter did affected the rest of that crowd that day? There's a cat in this scripture. His name is Barnabas. You may not know who Barnabas is. But Barnabas, back in the uh, book of Acts, he's a very important, influential Christian leader. Actually, Barnabas was so important and so influential that the people gave him a nickname. Does anybody know what his nickname is? The Encourager. He is the Encourager. He is going around encouraging people and helping them to understand who this Jesus is. And yet the Bible says that through the hypocrisy of Peter and these other Jews, that even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas was led astray. So you can't say that this didn't affect the people there because it did affect them. Now, friends, I'm here to tell you that this affected people way beyond Barnabas. It affected people way beyond Paul. It affected people way beyond just those who were sitting there with Peter at his table. But you know what a hypocrite is, like I said a while ago. Here's what a hypocrite, and here's what the dictionary says, and I quote, It is a person who pretends to have virtues, who pretends to have morals and religious beliefs that they do not actually possess. In other words, they are someone who's saying one thing and doing something else. Peter was being two-faced. At first, he was acting like someone who had been set free by the grace of God. And now, all of a sudden, when the Jerusalem Jews arrived, he reverted back to the bondage of the Old Testament rules and regulations. Galatians 2 and 12. He was eating with the Gentiles, but then he drew back. And it says, because he feared. You see that? He was fearing someone else. Paul said that Peter was afraid. He feared. Fear causes Peter to to be contrary and act contrary to the gospel. And Peter's actions didn't line up with what Jesus wanted him to preach and teach. Now, when you have, uh, whenever you have bones that are out of alignment, who do you normally go see? Some is a chiropractor, uh, orthopedic, an orthopedic surgeon. Whenever there's things going on, if you actually look in the scriptures, whenever the Bible goes to talk about that Peter was acting contrary or out of line with the gospel, you will see a word there that is orthopedeo. 
The word ortho is the word that we took from the Greek language and that it actually, our orthopedic is actually taken from that word. Padeo means to be straight-footed. So he's acting crooked and not walking straight in the gospel and in the way that it's supposed to be. So I look at that and I say, well, Paul must have been the Christian orthopedic surgeon because he's fixing to put it back in line. He comes in right here and he straightens it all up. Friends, you have to understand that fear of what other people think can cause you to do things that you would never have ordinarily done. Fear of what other people think. Now, I've lived my life in some fear before. I've had not, not just where I was like afraid. My grandma was scared of snakes so bad that when she would drive her car, she would pick her feet up if the car went over a snake. She was terrified of snakes. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about having a, nervous, a nervousness inside of you of what someone else thinks about what you are about to do. And so because you fear what they think, it causes you to revert to something else. And guys, I'm telling you that that kind of fear is not healthy at all. It's not healthy at all. Peter's living in this. Now, are you a person who acts one way around one group of people, and then you're totally different around another? Are you a person who finds it appealing to woo the people of your business and compromise your morals, compromise your beliefs, simply because you don't want to lose their business? That would be called a hypocrite. Are you a person who is conflicted inside? This conflict is raging within you because you want to be the cool kid on campus. You do whatever you can to have a, do whatever you have to do to hang around all these cool kids. You become a puppet on a string for them. Whatever they say do, you do. Wherever they say go, you go. And constantly you're made a fool because you know that this is not who you are. And then all of a sudden, one day, you wake up and you realize there was a friend that you had back in the day when you were a kid coming up. And that kid went through you with elementary school. That kid was with you in middle school. That kid was with you in high school. But all of a sudden, the stupid bug hits you. And all of a sudden, you think that you have to start acting like these other people so that you can hang around them. And all of a sudden, one day, you realize that the only thing that that friend ever asked you to do demanded of you was that you be yourself. But you forgot about them because they weren't cool enough. You'll find out quick that it's better for you to be who you are rather than fear someone else. Just be who you are. And fear causes you to want to be accepted by the cool club and do things that you ordinarily wouldn't do. Are you a young lady who's been made to believe that you're identified by the measure of your chest, the narrowness of your waist, and the roundness of your hips? You've been led to believe that you have to do whatever the young boys want you to do or else you're going to be dateless when prom rolls around. You'll never have a boyfriend, that little voice inside your head tells you, because you fear being alone and you compromise your convictions and you give yourself away to one boy and then another boy, and then another boy. Are you that young boy who's been made to believe that that's what identifies you as a young man? It's to go and chase after girls, almost like you have to try every one of them like a box of chocolates to see what flavor they are. Fear causes you to chase after those things and to give yourself away to those things because you are afraid 
You listen to what I'm telling you today. Quit laughing and quit talking. Listen, you are afraid that there will be no one out there who will love you because you refuse to give yourself away time after time again. Let me tell you one thing. There will be a man who will be proud to accept you as his wife. And whenever you walk on the stage with him and the minister who joins you together and you have a rose that is full of beautiful petals and you have it to offer it to him because it has not been torn away by one idiot after another idiot after another idiot. Do you know why that marriages do not last today? Do you know why they don't last today? Because the young lady, she walks down the aisle, walks onto the stage, and all she has to hand her husband is a stem full of thorns. There is no bloom. There is no flower. Because you are foolish enough to believe the fear that is in this world. And guys, you are foolish to think that that's what identifies you to be a man. A man is a person that can leave his britches zipped and not give it away to every little Lucy that comes along. You won't hear that everywhere. But until I die, I'll say it from the pulpit. They ain't teaching you that in public schools. Does your actions affect other people? Galatians 2.13, Barnabas was led astray. He's an important guy. Peter was a leader of the church. But yet he was, he was able to be led astray because of fear that came into his life. Fear, all of a sudden. All of a sudden this happens. And, and he knew better than to be a hypocrite. He knew it. He knew what it was all about. He's preached against it. But he was driven by fear of what other people thought about him. Look at what Proverbs 29, 25 says. The fear of man lays a snare. You see it? The fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The entire theme of Galatians is freedom through the grace of God. It's freedom. Is there freedom while you live in fear to others? No. Is there freedom whenever you believe that you have to work for someone else's acceptance? No. Freedom is found in the grace of God through the powerful sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God's grace is not legalistic trans, trans, traditions that's passed down from one generation to another. God's grace is not a set of rules that you're supposed to follow. God's grace is freedom that blooms in your life whenever you understand the two most important commandments that Jesus ever brought to the face of this earth. Whenever you are able to understand this, you will have the grace of God, not just to be a little thing in your life, but it will begin to bloom. What are these two things? Jesus says that you ought to love God with everything that's within you. He said with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If that's not everything within you, I don't know what else is. And then he said there's something else that you need to do, that you need to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And whenever you get these two things, when these commands become a reality in your life, you begin to develop God's perfect love within you. And whenever God's perfect love is, is developed within you, there is something that is amazing that transforms into your life. Look at this, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Can I say that any other way? There is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? Say it. I want all of you. Say, what does it do? It casts out fear. 
And whenever you have God's perfect love living within you, it casts fear out. Do you know why? Because you don't give a rip what someone else thinks about you. The only person that you're worried about pleasing is God Almighty. And you do that through the power of Jesus Christ. And when that comes alive in your life, my friend, it's not just something you think about on Sunday morning. It's something that lives in you every single day of your life. When God's love is perfected in you, you not only live in the grace of God, but you begin to display the grace of God. When was the last time you displayed grace to somebody else who was hypocritical? God knows that he's done it to your hypocritical taste. done it. And you might say, oh, I'm not a hypocrite. You're a hypocritical lie. Peter, he was, one, he was the, one of the closest men that was ever to Jesus. This was the water walker. He was the one that had faith in God. He believed who Jesus was. Jesus said, who does everybody say that I am? And he said, you are the Messiah. You are the son of, living, of the living God. It is you, Jesus. Peter knew it. But yet he still slipped into this snare. And you too, friend. You have the ability of doing it too. And if you say that you can't, you're one of those holier-than-now Jerusalem Jews that walk into the room and change the entire environment. And God knows he needs to bust you wide open. Guys, I'm here to tell you right now that you have as much in you to, to fall and to, and to mess up and to be a hypocrite and to cause somebody else to stumble as much as Peter did. He's no better than you. You're no better than him. And I'm the same exact way. In closing, as our musicians come, you see, guys, when God's love is perfected in you, you're going to display this grace in you. You no longer fear what others think. There's three things that I learned from this passage of Scripture. One of the strongest evidences of divine authorship in the Scriptures is whenever you read through it and you see that the flaws of the greatest characters is not covered up. If somebody who was just an ordinary person, one of you or one of me, had written this, you know what we'd have done with our heroes? We'd have covered up their flaws. We'd have said, oh, buddy, he's got to shine, he's got to polish, he's got to be like Superman and be able to leap a building in a, in a single bound, right? That's what we would say. But whenever you read the Word of God and you read its flaws, you read the mess-ups of the people, you read their mistakes and that they were able to sweat and bleed and mess up just like you and me, all of a sudden it shows you that God wants to relate to you and me. He's the one that made it. He's the one that inspired it. He's the one that told someone else to write it. And whenever you see the, the problems, you see the contradictions that people say are contradictions, and you see things that are supposedly are wrong in the Scriptures, it is simply God allowing someone else to tell you how they feel through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not flaws as in there's a problem with the Word. It's just that God loves us so much that he wanted us to tell his story through our thoughts and our minds so that we could pin it down. And that's what these other people did. This is divine authorship, friends. In its finest, right here in the book of Galatians chapter 2. Number two, if there was hope for old Peter, there's hope for you and me. There's hope for every one of us who has failed along life's journey. We've all made poor choices, dumb decisions, careless mistakes. But God is still a redeemer, praise the Lord, a redeemer of your life, and he wants to use you. Someone once said, God can strike a mighty lick with an old crooked stick. And I'm so thankful for that. 
that God can still use me even though I'm flawed and messed up. Number three, although Peter's, you know, Peter and his, and his problems here, he didn't fall from grace. He didn't lose his salvation. He didn't do that. God, even though he didn't fall from grace and he didn't lose his salvation, God was not okay with his actions. One of the things that we've fallen into in our world today is to think that it's just okay for us to remain in the sinful state that we're in. Because we're saved by grace, we're eternally secure as the teachings go, and, and you, you're going to be this once saved, always saved, or whatever you're thinking and your terminology is. You get into this mindset that it's okay with God for me to remain here. If it was okay with God for you to remain there, He never would have sent Jesus and Him to shed His blood and sent the Holy Spirit for Him to give you the power to stay in that place. He don't want you to stay there. He wants to redeem you. It wasn't okay for Peter to remain in his sinful way. That's why Paul confronted him, and he corrected him. And when you are wrong, person, listen to what I'm going to tell you, church. When you are wrong, and God knows you're wrong, and God is in the process of putting you back in his will and in his way, he's going to put someone in front of you who's going to confront the wrong that you are doing. That's why Paul confronted Peter. When you're wrong, you'll be confronted with the truth. An unplanned, thoughtless sin is not what separates you from God, my friend. It's when you're confronted with the truth and you refuse time after time after time to accept the truth by continuing in your willful sin against God, and that's what separates you from Him. Willful, continual sin is what has always separated mankind from God. And if that is your problem, and you've been confronted with truth today, it's time for you to get that out of your way. You see, we all have the ability to make big mistakes, foolish mistakes, and fall flat on our face. But thank God, His arm is long enough to reach us where we are. Thank God that His grace is more than enough to satisfy the need that we have. Romans 6 and 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we supposed to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin live in it? It's not my words. Well, we have this idea that says, well, if, if God loves to forgive, why don't we just give Him some more to forgive? Yeah, let's just act stupid. Wow, what a thought. What a concept. Now, you see, a lot of people think, well, if forgiveness is guaranteed, well, we, don't, we, don't we just have the freedom to sin as much as we want if forgiveness is just guaranteed? No. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. You see, Paul says, absolutely not. An attitude like that shows that you do not understand the seriousness of sin. You do not understand that sin is what separated Adam and Eve from the presence of God every evening when he came to walk in the coolness of the day with them. And you can believe this if you want to. You don't have to. I'm, I'm a person that interprets the Word of God. You have to interpret the Word of God. But if you want to be able to walk in the coolness of the evening with God, you've got to get sin out of your way. You've got to get it out of your way. Walk no longer therein. Does that mean that you're not going to sin, you're not going to mess up? No, look at Peter. Look at him. Matter of fact, just look at who Paul was. You want a jacked up life, look at Paul's. All of us have the potential to mess it up. But what we have to make the choice is, is that we 
are not going to willfully live in sin against God. There's going to be times when you're going to fall and you're going to mess up and you're going to say, God, why in the world do you love me? Why in the world do you put up with me? And he's going to say, I don't know, but I love you. But I love you. A way that you love your child, God loves you all the more. But do not continue any longer therein. In other words, get out of the mess that you're in. Say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. He'll forgive you and walk on. Willful disobedience to the laws of God and to His grace is what separates you. Don't willfully sin against Him. That lesson. Peter had a lesson to learn. Maybe you've got a lesson to learn. And today is time for you to learn that lesson. You have the ability to fall flat on your face. You're not Superman or Superwoman. You're not. You are just as vulnerable as Peter. But through the power of Jesus Christ living within me, I can do all things through him. Even please God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do love you. And we're thankful for the word of God that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you show us your truth. And you begin to speak to us and you lay it out for us, Lord. And God, I know I don't have it all right all the time. Maybe most of the time. But Father, I'm just praying that something of value would come from this message today and it would fall upon the hearts of every listener here this morning. That they would not just hear the word, but that they would listen to it. That they would take it deep within, them, within themselves and in their hearts and that it would begin to push them to be a better Christian for you tomorrow. Not that they have to try and work and do all these things in order to please you through their works, but God, so that they would do such a thing that would challenge them to be better. To set things aside, the things that so easily beset them, to put that stuff aside and face the challenge of living a holy life before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, God. And if there is anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior. Don't let them walk away from this building this morning without hearing your still small voice and without answering that call and coming to know you in a personal way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, church.